Well, friends, if you can open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at John um, 18 uh, this morning, beginning in verse uh, 26. You can open up your worship guides uh, as well. Um, you can still see the scripture on the walls behind me. But uh, what we're doing this uh, Lenten season is that we're working our way through the passion of Jesus Christ. We're beginning with his betrayal and his arrest all the way up to the cross. We're slowing down and we are really considering and reflecting on Jesus' love and death for us. And so today we're looking at John chapter 18, verses 28 through verse 40 till the end of the chapter. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word together. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. But Barabbas was a robber. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Be with us now as we consider your word. May you show us your your love for us, but may you also speak to us. Speak to us in our deep need of you. Rebuke our sinfulness, that we may walk lives of repentance with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. One of my favorite icebreaker questions is, who is your favorite actor or actress and why? Because like one of the things that actors and actresses do is they study their craft. And as they study their craft, they seek to become different people in order to capture our attention, to seize our imaginations, to really play on our emotions. So Tom Holland, for example, who played Spider-Man, who plays Spider-Man, 
um, he has a, a mantra that he goes over to help him actually just cry on the spot. That is actually, that, that mantra is actually in the Marvel Infinity War movie and he, when he cries as before he disappears. There's also like Heath Ledger who is known for his method acting. Same with Daniel Day-Lewis. Even Angelina Jolie would do this. See, there's even some actors, however, like who don't do any of that whatsoever. They just enter into their, their roles. But actors, actresses, they do these things in order to become other people, in order to put on a mask, to play on our emotions, to help us engage with the story. But at the very central thing, they're putting on a mask. And in the ancient world, specifically in ancient Greece, actors would truly put on masks as they became other people. Literally, they would pick up a mask on a stick, essentially, and put it over their face. They would put on masks. The word that we see here that's being displayed for us in Greece is the word hypocrite. It truly means that people are playing a part to be a pretender, to be an actor, to be the false self. But as you think about that idea of being a hypocrite, of pretending, of putting on a mask, does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar to you? Because we all, every single one of us, wear masks. And so the question that we need to consider this morning is what masks do we wear and whom do we pretend to be when we wear them? In our passage this morning, we see a connection between hypocrisy and cowardice and also violence. Uh, that we see a connection between all these three things. And so as we go through this passage, let's first consider the religious hypocrisy that's on display for us. This is coming right before us in verses 28 through 32. And so our story begins with the Jews who are, have taken Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. They have brought him to the Roman uh, headquarters where the Roman governor, Pilate, that's where he um, worked from at least where he worked from when he was in Jerusalem. He would often be up in Caesarea. But this happens early on in the morning. But we read the following in verse 28, that these Jewish people did not enter the headquarters because they did not want to be defiled so that they could partake of the Passover. Let's just think about the Passover for a moment because the Passover is the biggest feast, it's the biggest festival within the Jewish calendar. It was the Passover is a commemoration of the Passover in, in Egypt, in Exodus, when God rescued and delivered the people of Israel from the land of Egypt when, he, when God passed over the Israelites and spared them. And so the Israelites would remember this every single year. It was the biggest feast within their, their time. And so the Jews would not come into, would not step foot into this Gentile residence because if they would do so, they would become unclean. And, and if they were going to go about the, the purification rituals, that would take time. But Passover is occurring this very day. And so they did not want to 
They wanted to be seen and be understood as faithful Jewish people. They wanted to be able to observe Passover and participate in that feast day. And so John is actually including this detail as a moment of irony for us. Because the Jews are being faithful to their law. They're being concerned about being impure. They but yet at the same time, they are delivering Jesus over to the Romans to be killed. They are delivering an innocent man, a man whom they know to be innocent, over to the Romans to be killed. That What we saw last week, that Jesus being before Annas and Caiaphas, is that there's this rigged kangaroo trial that the Jews are truly going about killing an innocent man. But there's also an image at play here where the Jews are remaining outside the Roman headquarters. And here's Pilate who's coming out of his headquarters to meet the the Jews. And then he's entering his headquarters back again and he's coming back out to them. What we're seeing for us in the language, in the story, is that here's Pilate. He's running back and forth, running between the Jews, back to Jesus, back to the Jews, then to Jesus, back to the Jews. There's this back and forth and there's this question. Who are you going to follow to? Today. Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to follow this religious hypocrisy, the, this, the, this, these Jews? Whom are you going to believe, Jesus or these Jews? And so for the religious leaders here, they are truly being hypocrites. They're trying to uphold the law so that they can be seen as faithful Israelites, that they can be seen as faithful religious leaders But all the while, they are engaged in a conspiracy to kill this innocent man. Let's think about our own lives for a moment. What does our hypocrisy look like? What does our hypocrisy look like? See, the the Jewish authorities, their supporters, they pretended to care about God's law. But within their hearts, they did not care about God's law. How do, how do we do that? Where we think and pretend that to care about God's law, but we don't really. We also see Pilate here, where Pilate is also being a hypocrite. He pretends to care about justice. He pretends to care about justice, but he is actually only interested in pleasing the mob and holding on to his position. There's this connection at, for us. There's this connection between hypocrisy and cowardice where we pretend to be someone else instead of whom the person God created us to be. We pretend to be someone else because we are trying to please others. That is a dynamic of hypocrisy, but that hypocrisy is connected to cowardice. Our second thing we want to consider is this political cowardice. Because we're all engaged in this hypocrisy, but we're also cowards as well. And we see this, like I said, in verses 33 to verse 38. Political cowardice. So here comes Pilate. Pilate needs to know the charge before there can even be a trial. So he says to to the Jews... What is the charge? Why are you bringing this man to me? Like he assumes that this is an instance of a minor inter-Jewish domestic squabble that they can attend to. Like he says, hey, go deal with this according to your own law. But the Jews come back to him and say that our law, it is not lawful for us to kill a man. 
So what immediately Pilate knows quite quickly that the Jews are after Jesus' death. And so what we, well, there's another dynamic here that the Jews have actually been after Jesus' death for some time. For example, in John 5 and John 9, the Jews sought to stone Jesus. And so the Jewish authorities are before Roman, the Roman authorities, trying to secure a guilty uh, a verdict of death. They, they have already rendered the, the guilty verdict, but now they want the consequences for that, that guilty verdict. So these charges that they are bringing to Pilate, in order for that to even be possible, for them to arise above blasphemy, the charges against Jesus had to be overtly political in nature. They had to be overtly political in nature because Pilate would not kill a man simply for blasphemy of doctrine, but Pilate would kill a man who would be a rival king, who would threaten Caesar, who would seek to lead a revolt of Israel against Rome. Pilate would certainly do that. And so as the Jewish authorities are coming to Pilate, Pilate is actually their instruments to kill Jesus. Leslie Newbegin highlights the significance of this where a Roman authority instead of a Jewish authority would be being the instrument to kill Jesus. He says this, that Jesus will die not by being crushed to, not by being crushed under a heap of stones, but by being lifted up for all to see like the bronze serpent in the wilderness so that they, so that he may draw all people to himself, that his death will not be a local event, but a world event. And this is key, that John wants our attention not actually on the Jewish authorities. John does not want our attention on the Roman authorities. John actually wants our attention on the hand of God. Now, once again, in Jesus' passion, God is the one who is in control. Like verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So that God is fully in control. That God is, is the one who has orchestrated these events to happen. And so he, Jesus is still in control, even while he is being falsely accused, while he is facing the injustice of a, a sham trial, even as he is being handed over by religious hypocrites, even as he's being, again, tried by a political coward. And so Pilate comes to Jesus and he questions him. Are you the king of the Jews? What is it that you have done? He interrogates, he questions Jesus here. And so Pilate is, in a sense, he's doing his due diligence. He's trying to figure out whether Jesus is truly a threat to Rome. But this due diligence actually arises from a level of self-protection. Because if there would be any movement against Rome, the governor would certainly be killed either by the Jews or by the Romans. Like the Roman emperors were, were not known for their kindness whatsoever. And so Pilate knows that like, he needs to do his due diligence even just to protect his own life. But he also knows that the Jews would not simply bring a, a man over to Rome just on the goodness of their heart. Pilate knows that these Jewish authorities need to have a personal interest in Jesus' demise. 
And so he's trying to figure that out. What is it that you have done? What's the dirty little secret that you have on these religious leaders? But Jesus actually does not answer these questions. He doesn't answer the question, are you a king? Because Jesus is not a king in any sense of the word that we use within our worldly vocabulary. But yet he is still a king. He is the king of all things. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not from this world. And anyone ought to be able to see that. Everyone ought to be able to see that. And that's actually where, where Jesus goes. If my kingdom was of this world, my disciples, what would they be doing? My disciples would be fighting. My disciples would be outside that gate trying to tear it down to come and rescue me. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from this world. And this is an important reminder to us that we follow a king whose kingdom is not of this world. That our king is unlike any other king, and his kingdom is like every other, is unlike, there we go, is unlike any other kingdom. And so my friend David Cassidy, he pastors Spanish River Church in Florida, he wrote this, The church was never called to be the moral police of the world culture warriors, or the endorsers of any political powers, but to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. It's high time we put away our swords and get on back, back on mission and message. So break out the good news, my friends. Think about the, our call to confession that, friends, hear the good news. The kingdom of God is here. The good news is that God's kingdom has come through Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus does here is that he's actually turning the tables on Pilate. He, he's turning the tables on him. Because what he ends up doing is that he puts Pilate on trial during his own interrogation. And Jesus goes on, but, and, and Pilate realizes this, that Jesus is not speaking political language. Jesus is speaking moral and spiritual language, something that gets much deeper and cuts to the heart. And so Pilate... In a moment of scoff, ridicule, perhaps surprise, he's like, huh, what is truth? And Pilate is very aware at this moment that Jesus is not a king, at least not a king in any sense of the, uh, the word that the Roman authorities would utilize. And Jesus is not guilty of any seditious movement against Rome. And so Pilate knows these charges that the Jewish authorities are, have brought to him are false. So what does Pilate do at this moment? What does Pilate do at this moment? Does he take Jesus up on his offer and actually become a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ? Because that's actually what Jesus is doing here when he says that my disciples know the truth. Jesus is, making it, is extending an invitation to follow him. So does Pilate take him up on that? No, that's not what Pilate does. Does Pilate release Jesus? Does he declare with all his authority to, do, to the Jewish authorities and others and says, this man is innocent of any wrongdoing and he is free to go? No. Does he, uh, does, he, is, does he call out the Jewish plot and conspiracy to kill Jesus? No, he does not. Pilate doesn't do these things. He actually looks for an out. He's a coward. He's a hypocrite. He's playing to the mob. He is trying to please the Jewish authorities. He's trying to hold on to his position. He's trying to hold on to favor. And so we, and we'll see this in, a, in the next chapter of John 19, because Pilate washes his hands. He says, I have, I, I'm done with this. I'm not guilty of this. I want nothing to do with this. 
He looks for political cover. He looks for political protection. He looks for an out. He does not want to kill an innocent man, nor does he want to offend the Jews. So he feels like he's stuck in a hard place. But he has an out, and his out is with the mob. And this is 38 to 40. And so the Jews had a custom where Pilate would release a man into, would release a man on Passover. And so Pilate goes to the crowd and presents them with an offer. Who should I release for you today? Should he release Jesus, the king of the Jews? Which is fascinating because here Pilate is actually using the very title that the Pharisees are denying Jesus. And so Pilate is actually saying like, hey, here's an innocent man. You should, let, you should have, want him to be released or should I release someone else? And actually, in John's telling of this passage, in, of this story, we don't know who the someone else is at this point. But at the very end, they cry out, not this man, but Barabbas, but Barabbas was a robber. And like, that's at least in the ESV translation. If you look at the footnotes, you'll see that he's an insurrectionist. He is actually a man who, would, who led rebellions, who had led a rebellion against Rome. So on the one hand, here's Jesus who's innocent. On the, other man, on the other hand, here's another man who is actually guilty. He's a guilty of leading a rebellion against Rome. One was delivered to Pilate simply because the Jewish authorities were jealous of him, while the others actually threatened Jewish existence. So who does the mob choose? Well, we know the answer. It's Barabbas. But Pilate hoped this would be his out. Pilate hoped that he would not be associated with killing an innocent man. He hoped that he would be able to spare an innocent man's life simply at the verdict of popular opinion. But that's not leadership. Leadership is doing the right thing even when public opinion is against you. And so if Pilate was a man of integrity, he would have actually declared, here's Jesus, he is innocent, he is free, and he's released to go. He would have declared his innocence for all to see. But that's not what happened. He presented the offer to the crowd. The crowd chose Barabbas. The irony of injustice is on display for us. That Jesus would be as the victim of injustice all throughout the story. But by choosing Barabbas... The Jewish mob chose a man who threatened their individual existence and their national existence. That's remarkable. See, the Romans had a certain policy that if you came and you threatened their rule, they would respond by overwhelming military force. They would march out and, and squash any uprising. And that is exactly what happened Forty years later, Jerusalem was fell in 40 A.D. But by choosing Barabbas, the, they send, the mob sends an innocent man to his death. The Roman leader sends the innocent man to his death. The Jewish authorities send a man to his death. By choosing Barabbas, they choose, the, they choose a man who's actually going to bring about their destruction. The question for us this morning, as we consider all, all of this, is whom would you choose? Would you choose the man who would lead you to your own death? Or would you choose the man who would bring you eternal life? Would you choose the man who would bring you your own death? Or would you choose the man who brings you eternal life? See, friends, where this story goes is that every single one of us desperately needs Jesus. 
Every single one of us is a hypocrite. Every single one of us is a coward. Every single one of us is a part of that mob. That there's peer pressure is a real thing. And the book of Proverbs is called the fear of man. It's very real for us. And if we had to pick the easy way or the hard way, we would actually pick the easy way instead of following Jesus. But every single one of us desperately needs Jesus' work in our lives. But there's good news here for us. And this is seen all throughout the story that Jesus is actually the one who's in control. That Jesus is the one who has from the beginning of time, has orchestrated this for our salvation. That we do not have to pretend, we do not have to wear masks, that God knows us inside and out. This is why we pray. Psalm 139, this is what we prayed last week. For the Lord to search us and to know us, to explore the depths of our hearts. It's that only in Jesus that we are fully known, it's only in Jesus that we are fully loved. Even that while we are hypocrites and we seek to please others instead of him, God still loves us despite all of that. God loves us despite being cowards who placate the crowd. God loves us even while we're the mob who sends his son to his death. God loves us. God loves us despite being our sinners, and God loves us actually because we're sinners. That is incredible good news. And so as Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us, he offers us forgiveness. And so, friends, the question that over and over again, who would we choose, the man who would lead us to our death or the man who would give us eternal life? Come to him who would give you eternal life. And it's yours. He loves you, and he knows you, and he embraces you. Let's pray.